Election College episode 180. It's our second episode about William Henry Harrison. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, recently you and I were at the tomb of William Henry Harrison there in North Bend, Ohio. Beautiful spot, overlooks a few oil tank things <laughs> along the river. No, actually, actually, that's just on the way uh, there. There's some industrial sites when you're driving from downtown Cincinnati to the Harrison tomb. But And North Bend really is a, a beautiful area where it, it as you can imagine, it's look overlooking a bend in the Ohio River uh, where you can see the states, well, you're in Ohio, but you can see the states of Kentucky as well as Indiana. And at the tomb, there are all kinds of accolades about the career of William Henry Harrison. You can imagine that, well, he became president, right? He should have done a lot of things prior, and he did. He was a senator, governor, a congressman, a military leader. He was all kinds of stuff. And where we left off in the last episode was the War of 1812. I just want to point out that when we were at his tomb, one, it was like blocked off. We couldn't go inside of the tomb itself. That kind of stunk. And two, it was so stinking cold. And I didn't wear a coat for whatever reason, which reminds me of well, foreshadowing William Henry Harrison in a major way. Uh, (laughs) But we'll get there. So you've got all this tension going on with the Native Americans, and many of the tribes were saying, hey, bucko, watch out, because if you go against us, we're going to align ourselves with the British. And that is exactly what happens in the War of 1812. You have all kinds of conflicts going on in the Northwest Territory. And Harrison, he's like, I'm going to make this a tri-state deal, right? I've got Ohio covered. I've done something there. I've got Indiana covered. Yeah, I served as your territorial governor. And now I'm going to serve as major general in the Kentucky militia. And then the United States government steps in and says, William Henry, we need you to command the Army of the Northwest. So that's exactly what he decides to do in September of 1812. Now, he's double-dipping a little bit here. He's getting paid because he's serving in the military. He's getting his governor's salary, and he's he's doing pretty well financially. (laughs) So the Americans are defeated in the Siege of Detroit, and that's pretty shameful. Uh, James Winchester was the general. He becomes the commander of the Army of the Northwest and says, William Henry, get over here. You are going to be a brigadier general. And Harrison was like, well, wait a second here. I want sole command of the army. So in September, President Madison says, Winchester, you're out of here. You did horrible. Harrison takes over. 
recruits a bunch of fresh blood and the British, as well as the Native Americans, outnumber Harrison's troops. But in the winter of 1812 and into 1813, Harrison constructs a defensive position along the Maumee River and builds a fort. Jason, there is a portrait of William Henry Harrison from this time period. And remember how he had previously been the congressional delegate, which we talked about in the last episode. You can go back and check that out in 179. Hopefully, by the way, if you've gotten this far five minutes into this episode and you are like, what is happening? You probably missed the last episode because uh, it was the first part of William Henry Harrison. So go back and listen to that. Come back real quick. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Hit pause. Yeah. We, we talked to, talked about how he was the congressional delegate. And he had a portrait of him painted where he was wearing civilian clothing. Uh, after he enters into the War of 1812, and as you're going to find out, gets pretty well known, uh, or have already found out, it's pretty well known, they end up painting his soldier's uniform on him. And let me tell you, it's terrifying, because if you look at it and you're like, hmm, well, how long would his neck be in this in this portrait? His <laughs> neck would be the longest neck in the history of humankind. So anyway. His mo- nickname's the giraffe. <laughs> yeah. Moving on, uh, Harrison gets some reinforcements in 1813, and he goes on the offensive. He goes up to the um, Battle of the Shawnee and the, the British in the north of where they were at, at one point, and he wins a bunch of victories. He ends up going up into Canada, into present-day Ontario, and he defeats the British there as well at the Battle of the Thames. And this is where Tecumseh, which we talked about a little more in the last episode as well, where he is killed. And, you know, this this is kind of considered to be like the height of American battle. Um, really, only the Battle of New Orleans is a little more famous than this one. Uh, if you haven't heard about the Battle of the Thames, there's probably tons of other podcasts that have gone many episodes deep about the Battle of the Thames. So check that out. But uh, this is certainly a, a huge turning point, a huge victory, and definitely a, a name maker for William Henry Harrison. So in 1814, the Secretary of War, John Armstrong, divides command of the of the army, uh, assigns Harrison to a post that's a little more backwater, uh, as he would put it, and uh, actually gives control of the front unit to one of Harrison's subordinates. And uh, Harrison gets reassigned, and he ends up, well, you know what? I'm resigning. And they accept it later that summer, the year after. So that'd be about 1815 or so. And uh, Congress is like, you know what? After this war's over, we're going to we're gonna look into that. They investigate his resignation. And they're like, you know what? You were mistreated. Uh, Secretary of War John Armstrong really mistreated you. And your resignation, yeah, you should have resigned. It's justified. And they end up awarding Harrison a gold medal for... Um, his services during the War of 1812 just because, well, not just because, but he did a really good job, and then also he got mistreated, so uh, hey, here's a gold medal for you. Yeah, I'm sure that made him feel a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) So after the war, uh, John Gibson replaces Harrison as the territorial governor of Indiana, and he returns to North Bend in 1814, and he builds on to his log cabin, and he kind of chills out for a little while. Well, 
a little while until 1816, when he is elected to complete the term of John McLean, who is a U.S. House of Representative member. So Harrison continues in the House of Representatives until 1819, when he was elected to the Ohio State Senate, and there he served until 1821. He ran for governor during that time of Ohio, like the state of Ohio, not territory. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I'm tired of saying territory around here. Uh, So he loses the gubernatorial election, but in 1822, he runs for the House, but he loses by 500 votes. So not one to give up in 1824. He wins a seat in the United States Senate, where he serves for four years. I'd say that's a pretty fair trade-off, right? You lose yeah. a, a congressional election, but then you come back, you become a senator. So his cohorts in Congress, who were from out west, called Harrison a, quote, Buckeye. And this was kind of a term of endearment for people who were from Ohio because Buckeye trees were native to the state and it's quite possible that that's the reason people from Ohio are called Buckeyes. There you go. Look at that. There's a little trivia for you. (laughs) Yeah. So he served as a presidential elector in 1820 and he was an elector in 1824 voting for Henry Clay and in 1817 when really interesting factoid about Harrison. Uh, President Monroe asked him to serve as Secretary of War, but he declined. So Harrison gets appointed to the minister plenipotentiary of Grand Columbia, and he resigns from Congress and serves there until March 8th, 1829. Uh, He really kind of finds Columbia pretty sad like he realizes that it's it's not good (laughs) the way things are going uh he goes back and says to the secretary of state hey this country is on the edge of anarchy and i think they're going to fall under a dictatorship here soon and uh he actually writes to the man he thought was about to become the dictator and says hey the strongest of all governments is that which is most free. So stop it. Whatever you're doing, stop it. Uh, make a democracy and uh, just be happy with that. And in response, Bolivar, who is this man I'm talking about, says the United States, quote, seem destined by providence to plague America with torments in the name of freedom. Most of Latin America agrees because they're not real big fans of the United States. They're like, why couldn't you have just let the Brits do whatever the Brits wanted to do. You had to take over. And uh, after that point, President Andrew Jackson takes office and Harrison gets recalled uh, back to the United States. um, Jackson makes a new appointment and uh, Harrison goes back to being a private citizen for a little while. Yeah. So there he is in North Bend, Ohio. He's adding on to his log cabin and he's collecting his government pension. <laughs> his farm's making a few dollars. He's grown corn. He establishes a distillery, produces whiskey. He begins to see the ill effects of alcohol on his customers. And so he closes the distillery 
And he tells the Hamilton County Agricultural Board, you know what? I sinned. I shouldn't have done this. This was wrong. And um, a few years later, he's like, you know what? I just wrote this nice biography. I think I'm going to go back and run for office. So in 1836, he serves as the clerk of courts for Hamilton County, which for those of you who are not familiar with Hamilton County, that's Cincinnati. And that was his job. So he's, he's serving there as clerk of courts. And he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to run for president. So he gives it a try as a Northern Whig candidate. And get this, Ben, this was one of only two times in American history when a major political party intentionally ran more than one presidential candidate. And uh, the thinking was, is that Marty wasn't very popular and that the Whigs could pretty much dominate the election. It didn't work out very well, though. Van Buren won the election um, with a mere 170 electoral votes. And you talk about close elections. Pennsylvania would have won the election for Harrison, but he lost by 4,000 votes. Pretty crazy. Yeah, not many at all. So Harrison is the Whig candidate in 1840. And again, he's going up against Van Buren, who... We just did a couple episodes on last week. Go back and check them out. It's the 1840 election. And the Whig Party is like, okay, maybe this time we should instead get a single candidate. Maybe that would be a better idea. And Harrison, uh, they choose Harrison over people like uh, Clay or Webster. And uh, Harrison bases basically his entire campaign on his military record. And, uh, you know, old Tippecanoe, they start talking about all his defeats and his victories and all that kind of stuff. And basically, the uh, the Whigs are like, hey, Van Buren, not a great guy. Van Ruin, more like it, right? Am I right? And they uh, <laughs> they launched that campaign on him because of the, the bad economy, which really probably wasn't entirely Van, uh, Van Buren's doing, but still made for good news headlines. The Democrats are like, hey, um, Granny Harrison, the Petticoat General, uh, you resigned before the War of 1812 was even over. So why should we even bother with you? Like, do you really want uh, somebody whose name backwards is No Sarah? Which, if you ask me, like, whether you like Harrison or not, is kind of just a a bad argument, but whatever. <laughs> uh, so, you know, they kind of put... Harrison in this in this mode of well he's just an old out of touch man who'd rather sit in his log cabin drinking hard cider uh, rather than taking care of all the stuff that's really important and so things go along that way and it's kind of a nasty fight until Harrison and John Tyler who ran as his vice president are like you know what we're gonna adopt that mentality we're gonna pretend like we're the log cabin and hard cider campaign uh, people we're going to make banners and posters and we're going to use the the bottle of hard cider and the log cabin as as our campaign slogans and our our logos and everything and uh we're going to be the common man we're just going to connect that way and so harrison who comes from a rather like we said in the last episode a rather wealthy family uh, a family that 
hold slaves. Uh, his campaign kind of makes him out to be just this humble frontiersman, just you know, going forward in the West, taking over the the frontier, as it were. And the Whigs are like, you know what, Van Buren, he's a he's an elitist, and this really really works for Harrison because he ends up winning. And they they run on the slogan of Tippecanoe and Tyler Two. This is one of the most famous campaign slogans. I'm sure you've probably heard it, Tippecanoe and Tyler Two. He wins a landslide victory, 234 votes to Van Buren 60, which is absolutely insane. He he doesn't win that much of the popular votes, but when it comes down to it, it doesn't really matter as long as you get the right states and the right people. Right. So we all know the story, right? Harrison, he's happy to have won the election. He goes to Washington and he wants to overcome some of this talk from the campaign that he's old and kind of washed up. Because, yeah, like like Ben said, he won by a huge margin in the Electoral College, but this margin was less than 150,000 votes. So there were still some people who had that perception that Harrison was old and feeble, but he wanted to cast himself as the hero of Tippecanoe. So there he arrives in Washington, takes the oath of office on March the 4th, 1841. It's a cold and wet day, and Tippecanoe is going to show that he is strong. So he does not wear an overcoat. He doesn't wear a hat. He rides on horseback to the ceremony rather than the carriage. And he delivers the longest inaugural address in American history. It took him, Ben, I had no idea. I knew it was a long speech. Mm -hmm. Nearly two hours to read. And get this, Daniel Webster, his buddy, was like, hey, Tippecanoe, I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to edit this for you. (laughs) And it was still that long. So Harrison gives this speech for two hours Everybody wakes up when he's done. He rides through the streets in an, in the inaugural parade, and then he goes to three balls. And, I mean, these balls were pretty big and pretty extravagant, especially for that time. So this speech was basically a repudiation of Jacksonian democracy. He's pretty much saying, you know what? Bank of the United States, we need to have it. Van Buren... He was horrible. The Whigs are awesome, and we're going to change Washington. We're, we're going to make this a place where things happen. So Henry Clay is a prominent figure at this time, and Harrison has some spats with him, I guess you could say. And uh, basically, Henry Clay wants him to remove some other Whigs from office. And a group arrives in his office on March 16th uh, to say, hey, any Democrats that are here from appointed office, get rid of them too. And William Henry Harrison is like, you know what? I'm not doing this whole partisan thing. And he says, quote, so help me God, I will resign my office before I can be guilty of such an iniquity. So, uh, end quote. And basically he's saying that this isn't about what party they're from. This is about what they're willing to do in the country. And 
William Henry Harrison doesn't really have a lot of influence during his time as president. Uh, Really, the only thing he does is the only thing that's really super important. He gets together Congress in a special session and uh, uh, he realizes that, hey, my cabinet is divided and we we really should get together a special session of Congress. And so (laughs) Harrison's like, okay, fine. We'll have this special session of Congress. It's going to be on May 31st. Well, come March 26th, Harrison becomes ill. He gets a cold. And, you know, this this idea is that there was this bad weather at his inauguration. He didn't wear a coat, etc. He didn't get sick till three weeks after this happened. So who knows if it was a delayed response or if it was totally something different. Who knows? But Harrison is like, hey, I just need to rest. I got this White House here. It's my house. Uh, but he can't get any quiet. He can't rest because there's just a, st- a steady crowd of people there trying to get him to appoint them to an office. And uh, he's a really busy guy because he's the president. So you know, who would have figured? And Harrison's doctors are like, okay, well, the best thing would be rest. But since you can't get any rest, how about opium or uh, castor oil or maybe <laughs> leeches or some, idea. some Virginia snake weed? But really, Harrison just gets worse, and he becomes delirious. And unfortunately, nine days after he gets sick, he dies. And uh, the cause of death was uh, officially pneumonia of the lower lobe of the right lung. Years later, 2014, so just a few years ago, uh, they took all of this doctor's notes, and they took all of the records of the White House, and they were like, okay, so... He likely died from either septic shock or enteric fever. So insane. He becomes the first president to die in office. Uh, his last words were actually to his doctor, but who knows who he was actually talking to. Probably his vice president said, quote, Sir, I wish you to understand the true principles of the government. I wish them carried out. I ask nothing more, end quote. And uh, this is the officially the shortest term of any American presidents, or March 4th to April 4th, which is only 30 days, 12 hours, and 30 minutes. We talked about this back in our episode about John Tyler taking over. There was no clear clause in the Constitution which said that the person who was the vice president would become the president. So Tyler's ascension to the presidency wasn't just uh, an accepted thing because the constitution didn't clearly state if the vice president would become the president. It merely said that they were discharged the powers and duties of the office. So it's really at this time that Tyler asserts himself as the president, not the vice president acting as president. So Tyler pretty much holds the line and says, I don't care what you say, I'm getting sworn in, I am the president. On April 6th, he takes the oath and he is in. So there you have it. That's the life of William Henry Harrison. He was more than just president for 30 days. He had quite the illustrious career. 
So this creates a really weird scenario because, and we talked about this before, and I won't belabor the point now, but three presidents actually serve within a single calendar year. You have Van Buren, who's the president before. You have Harrison, who dies early into office. And you have Tyler, who ascends to the throne. Pardon my pun, but he uh, uh, ends up becoming president. And this only happens one other time uh, in the future, whenever Hayes, Garfield, and Arthur become president in the same year. So, uh, you know, this leads to a lot of different changes, and this leads to uh, a new amendment and everything like that. But we've talked about all that before. If you want to uh, visit Harrison's grave, uh, you can do so. Not far away from where Jason lives, as a matter of fact, uh, there in southern Ohio. And, uh, yeah, so the shortest presidency, uh, a very full life, as as we've talked about in the last two episodes. We actually set out in this episode thinking, oh, we might get one episode out of it. He wasn't president for that long. It can't be that interesting. And uh, realized very quickly when planning the episodes out, yeah, this isn't going to work. We're going to have to do two. So uh, definitely an interesting figure and a really interesting life, lots of interesting facts and had a very short, short time as the president. Yeah. You know, Ben, we talked about Ben Franklin being the original hipster, Mm -hmm. but as far as hairstyle goes, why are we talking about hairstyle so much? I don't know if this is a, a thing with us or I guess I'm the one bringing it up. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of confused too. William Henry Harrison, hipster hairdo. (laughs) Yeah, and his actual portrait, uh, the the actual picture of him, his neck is not nearly as long as in his uh, portrait. So just to let that be a comfort to you, if you're ever worried about the length of his neck. (laughs) (laughs) And not as terrifying in looks as Andy Jack. Right. But he he probably would have messed you up in his day. Oh, he was scary for sure. I mean... Anybody who has that kind of a war record, you have to imagine they've they've seen some stuff. So my big hope is that in future episodes, we won't have to say territory as much as we did in these two episodes. And my other hope is that you will head over to Patreon and support the podcast. For as little as a dollar a month, your contribution helps us cover the costs of hosting and putting this podcast on on for your entertainment pleasure head over to patreon.com slash election college or you can flip-flop that you can go to electioncollege.com slash patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n we certainly appreciate any support that you can give to the podcast and there are some of you out there thinking eh, i'm just gonna skip the rest of the episode i know what comes next and you're probably right But uh, in reality, if you're thinking, oh, a dollar doesn't make that much of a difference in the lives of Jason Goff and Ben Smith, I could give a dollar, but who cares? You're wrong because a dollar makes a huge difference if a lot of you do it and uh, not to beg for money or anything. But yeah, this is we we put a lot of time into the show and we would really appreciate uh, if you see fit 
we, we certainly don't mind giving it to you for free, but if you see fit that, Hey, I got a dollar a month, I can donate that. That's not that big of a deal. We would really appreciate that. Head over to Patreon. Like Jason said, you can also, and this surprisingly, this makes our day just as much, if not more. So, you know, get on that as you donate to Patreon, heading over to iTunes and leaving us a review. Uh, we really honestly do a happy dance. And I, I, I see the email sometimes. I'll wake up. They'll, they'll come early in the morning and I'll wake up and I'll see them. And uh, I'll literally like do a little fist pump in bed while I'm still laying there trying to wake up and <laughs> think, all right, Somebody likes us enough, they left us a review. I want you to be the next person that I do a fist pump about. And uh, go ahead, leave us a review on iTunes. Even if you don't use iTunes, it's a super big help to us. Go to electioncollege.com slash iTunes or just search for us in iTunes. Yeah, and if you're still listening to us after we've just begged for your money (laughs) and begged for your time, I have a really good suggestion, and that is picking up a copy of Stephen Koss's book, The Fever of 1721, subtitled The Epidemic That Revolutionized Medicine and American Politics. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first book from Simon & Schuster that we are reading together. Please join us and interact with us on social media. It's going to be a lot of fun Uh, We've had a lot of great interactions with the Simon & Schuster audience, and we would love to have you join us as we read through this book. There are so many things that happened in the 1710s and 1720s that were precursors to the American Revolution. I am learning so much in reading this book. We are going to be tweeting We'll be Facebooking, and of course, we'll be Instagramming. We might be doing some stories about our quest through this book. So pick up your copy, and next week, we are going to be talking a lot about this book. So we hope to interact with you on social media, and that makes the podcast even better. Yeah, and we're not getting uh, any kind of compensation other than we got a free copy of the book to promote this book. But if you want to, hey, you know what? I want to pick up the book and why not support Election College in the meantime? Uh, I just thought of this, Jason. We're going to have uh, a direct link for you, electioncollege.com slash 1721. I'll put that in the show notes as well. But go over and you can pick that up on Amazon and you could get the, uh, I assume, ebook version as well as the uh, actual paperback version. If you don't want to do that, you want to go over to your local bookstore. Even better, support local business. Go for it. But if you want to get it on Amazon, our uh, link, electioncollege.com slash Amazon or electioncollege.com slash 1721 is a great place to pick that up. We've begged for enough of your stuff now. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs> we'll talk to you uh, next time here on Election College. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.